I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. Spastic paraplegia 50, or SPG 50, is a neurodegenerative disorder that progresses slowly from infancy. Patients experience developmental delays, spasticity and paralysis in the lower and upper limbs, and microcephaly, among other symptoms. It's an autosomal recessive disorder, which means that the child inherits the disease-causing genetic mutation from both parents. I'm joined today by Terry Pirovalakis, whose son Michael was diagnosed with this ultra-rare condition. Terry and his wife Georgia founded the organization Cure SPG50 in order to find a gene therapy treatment for Michael and all other children affected by this disease. He will tell us his family's story and give us an update on how research is going for his son. Welcome, Terry. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate being able to share your journey with you. So can you tell us about your family's journey with this disease? Yeah, so... You know, on December 17, 2017, Michael, our youngest son, was born. It was pretty much uneventful. We went to the hospital in the middle of the night. My wife said her, you know, her water broke. It was our third child, so we were prepared. We got there. The midwife was there, and Michael came out in pretty much like an hour and a half. We were home within three hours. So it was it was very quick. It was completely uneventful, and he was a perfect little kid. He was, you know, he was quiet. He was, you know, the perfect child. Around six months of age, we noticed that he wasn't raising his hands and he wasn't following the milestones our other children were following. And my wife said, you know, something's up. So we brought him to the doctor and they noticed that his head was starting to fall off the charts or wasn't growing as expected. And he he had something called low muscle tone. So that kind of fell into the odyssey of, you know, finding out what was wrong with him. Yeah. And I think it's it's important to note here, especially for any parents that have gone through this themselves, how agonizing this step can be, especially when it turns out that it's this sort of ultra rare disease. I imagine there was all kinds of tests and all kinds of doctors who were just telling you that they didn't know what it was and how heartbreaking that can be for parents, obviously. Yeah. At first, you know, they just thought, you know what, he has low muscle tone. He has, you know, it looks like he's, he's, his head is smaller, but don't worry about it. He'll, he'll catch up. And then, you know, that kind of lasted three months. And then we were like, okay, well, he's still not progressing. We're doing therapies and he is improving, but you know, his head still isn't growing what's going on. So then we went to sick kids hospital in Toronto and we went to infectious disease because I was traveling at the time to Latin America and they thought maybe he had Zika. Mm-hmm. So we went down the path of CMV, Zika testing, and all the other infectious diseases, which he didn't have any of them, obviously. And then we moved into neurology and the neurologist team did an MRI and they found that they, they saw a few you know things that were um, not normal, but nothing major. And that's when they started doing you know the panel testing which came back all negative. And then finally, we were very lucky that they did the genetic testing. And then on April 2nd of, uh, of 2019, he was diagnosed with this, you know, terrible disease. And uh, how did you find doctors that were able to tell you more information about this disease? We were really lucky that, you know, on April 2nd, we were told to go home, love Michael, that there was nothing really they could do for him, that he will most likely be completely paralyzed with limited brain function. And uh, as parents, we were we were absolutely devastated. You know, I drove home that night, and I, honestly, I don't even remember how we even got home. All I remember is you know crying on the street, crying in the car. But we found a family 
Um, cause when we were given the paper, I don't know what happened. I think I lost it, but that night they emailed us what the disease was and the diagnosis. And we found a family that had SPG 47 out of Boston and we called them up that night in a panic and they actually walked us through the disease and, and who were the specialists. And they took care of us for the next two weeks while we mourned this significant piece of our lives. It was almost like a, well, it is like a piece of our soul was taken away from us. That's really amazingly lucky to be able to find a family and have them be so willing to help you out, especially through those early days. Well, not just that. They also, we were also lucky that they were actually already going down the path of gene therapy. So not only did they tell us what the disease prognosis was, but they were telling us what they were doing for their disease and for their gene therapy program. And, and SPG 47 is part of a protein complex called AP4. And under that AP4, there's four genes. There are AP4, AP4M1, S1, G1, and B1. And ours was the same. So in essence, we all have the same disease. So we were very fortunate that they were actually going on that path and, and, and kind of guided us for the next two weeks on what we should be doing. And then we took it on and just did it ourselves from then on. All right. Speaking of gene therapy, how did Cure SPG50 get started? So pretty much one month after Michael was diagnosed, I, well, pretty much the day after he was diagnosed, I read as much as I humanly can on the disease and, and, and gene therapy and ASOs and drug testing and drug discovery and everything humanly possible to try to figure out a way that we could help Michael. And then I started reaching out to experts around the world and it seemed to be that gene therapy was the path that we needed to go on. Pretty much a month to the day that Michael was diagnosed, I flew to Washington to the ASGCT conference and I met with the six of the seven world experts in gene therapy. They, you know, talked to them, understood what they what they recommended, understood if they would even take on the program because a lot of them would not. And then about a week later, I flew to London, England. I met the seventh. And then about a week later, we hired Dr. Stephen Gray out of UTSW to start the program on our gene therapy. Can you tell me about the gene therapy approach that your organization is taking for this treatment and what makes it different from the other ones? Yeah, so we're trying to follow the same approach as a lot of other gene therapies like CLN2, CLN7, GANS, SMA. Basically, what we're doing is we're taking the adeno-associated virus and we're packaging a gene replacement therapy. So we're putting Michael's gene that is defective within the adeno-associated virus and the theory is that we're going to inject it intrathecally, which will will infect um, his, his you know CSF and start reproducing the gene that he's missing or the protein. You know we're trying to follow the same steps and same processes that others have done in the past. And the reason for that is, if we start doing something unique, the FDA may not make it an easy process, and we might have to spend a significant amount of money. And being a small foundation or a small organization, we figured the approach of copying versus building from scratch is the approach that we want to do because we don't have unlimited funding to do what really should be done. From what I understand, the basis of the disease is a is a missing protein that this gene is just not creating. Yeah. So what's happening is Michael's missing the protein called AP4. And the way it works is if you're missing any of the genes, AP4, B1, S1, G1, or B1, it, it's a failure of the complex. So the entire 
AP4 complex fails. And that complex, what it does is it, it causes external swelling and it affects the motor neurons. And that's why Michael is having these effects, which is very severe. Michael will become paralyzed from the waist down via spasticity by the age of 10 and the upper arms or the upper limbs by the age of 20. And on top of that, he's not developing the way he should be mentally. Can you tell me a little bit about Michael? What What's he like? What's he into? You know, Michael is one of those, actually all the children with SPG 50 have a happy disposition. We're extremely lucky. Michael is a happy, you know, three-year-old little boy. You know, his, if you talked about his mental development and his physical development, he's probably at around one years of age mentally. He's not walking. He is standing. He pulls the stand. He can take about 20 steps with support. He's not using his walker. He's not verbal. He was verbal at the very beginning, but then he had a, about a two-hour seizure, and then he lost the ability to speak. But he's a happy little boy. He's always smiling. He's always laughing. He loves his brother and sister. You know, he, he just, you know, he's a joy to be around. He's a happy little guy. You know, we just love him. You know, he just, he just brightens our day. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen pictures. He is super cute. <laughs> he is cute. He's, he's a handful, though. He's always, he's curious. He always wants to play with his brother and sister. And the, the biggest problem is that because he doesn't understand what's dangerous, when he stands up, he doesn't protect himself when he falls down backwards. So, you know, like a lot of times he'll fall back and bump his head. So we're always behind him as much as we want him to walk and stand and do all those things. We also don't want him to get hurt as well, right? So, and then on top of that, we, um, we've been in pure lockdown for the last almost year because uh, if Michael gets a seizure, his seizures are very severe and very long, mm -hmm. the febrile seizures that he has. So we've been very, very cautious on what we do, where we go. And we really haven't seen our family and friends in, in about a year. So what does this year look like for Cure SPG 50? What do you have coming up that you are hoping to accomplish this year? Well, we have a lot of things on the go. Unfortunately, as with any revolutionary change, nothing goes as, as easy or as planned. So our goal is that this year we will do safety testing. We will manufacture the clinical grade treatment. We will hopefully start a clinical trial by the end of the year. But, you know, it's really hard to say. There's so many moving parts. There's so many pieces. Guidelines from the FDA are changing. Science never goes the way you want it to go. So our hope is that we start a clinical trial by the end of the year. But it's just, it's, it's just, it's just so hard to tell. It's just there's so many moving parts. Yeah. I mean, the entire last year being taken up with COVID going into this year probably didn't help things along either. No. And, and on top of that, trying to find resources. So trying to find you know, tox programs, trying to find manufacturers for the vector, trying to find plasmid. The time, the cost, and the association of time has all been limiting factors, unfortunately. And we're really trying to move things forward. And we're doing a lot of things at risk by not waiting for one thing to finish before we start the next, almost like we're building a COVID vaccine. But if we don't, we're just going to lose the time. Yeah. So what are you hoping the impact of this research will be in five, 10 years? I'm hoping I'm hoping that if we end up, you know, <laughs> with a lot of luck and we get through a clinical trial this year, that we're able to open the door for other gene therapies to move quickly and to to leverage what we've done, because we're an open book. We're we're here to help anybody that that needs it and leverage our gene therapy program and leverage we're leveraging others to leverage ours. And this way move monogenic diseases forward and especially where there's under 500 children or under a thousand children worldwide where there is no commercial interest so that mm -hmm. you know people and families can actually see a cure for their children or at least a treatment but you know unfortunately the children are all over the world scattered and and the goal is that any child that 
you know, wants to participate, we can participate. And, and our goal is to treat as many as we can. I'm hoping that with the manufacturing, we make enough vector to cure the entire population. That would be my goal. The biggest problem is money. Every child gets injected is a significant amount of money. So, you know, if we may have enough vector to cure them all, but we may not have enough money to actually do it. How does your organization fundraise? You know, we've been really, really lucky. We have an amazing community here in Toronto. Before COVID, people were hosting events for us. We had golf tournaments. We had 500-person galas. We had uh, barbecues, lemonade stands. We had just people hosting events after events for us, dance-a-thons that were around the world. And we were able to raise about 1.8 million Canadian, which is incredible, especially in under a year. But COVID has made that very, very difficult. So yeah, I don't know where it's going to take us this year because people are losing their jobs and their homes. But we're hoping that this pandemic ends soon so we can go back to our normal lives. I think everybody wants that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> no <laughs> argument for me. <laughs> exactly. How has your family been doing in the, you know, this crazy year that we've been in? This this has been a really, really hard year. Um, we have two other children and they're doing homeschooling. And then you got Michael and... You know, for almost seven months, we had no therapy at all for Michael Mm -hmm. because we were completely locked down in Toronto. And then when we did open up, it was extremely hard to find physiotherapists and occupational therapists and speech therapists and everything else because they were, you know, worried about themselves as well. And we just found it an extremely, extremely hard year. You know, it's, it's lightening up now. We've, we've kind of built back our routine, but, you know, having, having our kids home, having Michael home. And on top of that, seeing Michael not progress or even deteriorate in, in, in spasticity. It's extremely hard. It's it's been a really hard year overall. But we're all in the same boat. We're all like I mean we're we're a bit of an exception, but overall we're all suffering in some way because of COVID. Absolutely. What would you like people to know about your organization? Basically, how can they donate? How can they help? <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we're we're grassroots. We're a small like I mean it's just my wife and I just, you know, hosting events and you know, building the website and answering the phone calls and and and, and filling in the paperwork. All 100% of the funds goes directly to research. I mean, even the lawyer fees, we pay out of our own pocket. So 100% of the funds go directly to treating these children. And, you know, if if you can, if you're able to, you know, we would love the support. You can go to curespg50.org. You can select donate. You can view our media. You can see, you know, some information about Michael. Or you can go to GoFundMe and type in curespg50. And again, our goal is that we take that money and we treat as many kids as we can. And if And if we're really lucky and everything goes well, my goal is to eradicate this disease so that it doesn't exist and that if a child is born, either now or in the future, that when they do the newborn screening, that our disease is on that newborn screening panel, that these kids get identified and they will never have to experience what my family is experiencing. As you mentioned, you had reached out to a family when you first got your diagnosis. Have you guys been able to be that family that others have reached out to since then? Yeah, you know, we... (laughs) Not only have we been the family that uh, other families of, of SPG 50 reached out to, but, you know, we started a Slack channel um, to help other families with rare diseases follow the same footsteps and the same journey. So I've helped, I think, I don't know, it's, been, it's a lot, like, I want to say close to 20 so far, go down a path. And I think the, the Slack channel now has, I think, 105 different diseases that are working on either a small molecule, large molecule ASO gene therapy of some sort and mm-hmm. and everybody's helping each other you know we're guiding each other we're telling people you know what we've done or what they've done some people are further along some people are further behind but the goal is that 
instead of us going on this journey alone, now we have other people that that are helping us with this journey. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And uh, for anybody listening, that's curespg50.org. Thank you so much. 